Please join me as we pray to God. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word in the book of Deuteronomy. Please help us to understand uh, what you are saying to us this morning. Please help us in response to your greatness to love you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We just uh, read the story a moment ago, Matthew chapter 22. A Jewish leader comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question. He says, teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's what's the most important thing that God wants? What's the first priority for people? And how does Jesus answer? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. As far as Jesus is concerned... That is the most important thing you can do. More important than anything else in your life is whether you love God. And and that sounds fine until you start thinking about it. What does it mean to love God? I love lots of things. I love my wife. I love my children. I also love taking a hot bath. I love lint chocolate. I love uh, licorice. I love little soft fluffy animals. But, but, but loving God isn't quite like any of those loves, is it? God is not with me physically. I can't pat him or hug him or see him or smell him or touch him or taste him. It's hard to know what it should feel like to love God. I can't give him a kiss. Uh, I can't even have a reciprocal conversation with him where I hear him in response. What does it mean to love God? In fact, the more I think about it, the more I start to wonder if I even love God at all. Am I just using him for what I can get? And given what Jesus says here, that this is the most important thing in our lives, that's a bit of a worry, isn't it? How about you? Do do, do you feel like you love God? Could you say, yep, I I love God? What do you mean? What do you mean you love God? What what should that feel like? Do you love him like you love your pet? Or, or, Or do you love him like you love your husband or wife or like a friend or do you love him like you love lint chocolate i hope not what should it feel like to to love god and how can we love god more i often have people come to me and say jeff i feel like i don't love god i don't really have the faith and the love for god that 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 other people in the church have how do i get that how do i grow in love for god well how can we it's an important question isn't it jesus says the most important thing What is it then? And how can we do it? How can we grow in love for God? Well, we're looking at Moses' second talk in this book of Deuteronomy. You remember what's happened? Israel are poised on the edge of the promised land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, but now they're about to go into the promised land, the land that God has promised them 400 years beforehand. And Moses is giving these three sermons, these three talks, to try to encourage Israel as they go into the land. And now... We're in the second talk, and and now in this talk, he's about to launch into a long list, kind of 
enumerating what the laws are, saying exactly what these laws that Israel has to follow are. So from chapter 12 through to chapter 26, Moses is just going to list law after law after law after law after law. But this one final time before we get in there, Moses is calling on Israel to think about how they're going to do these laws, how they're going to keep these laws. What does actually God want for them? Does he want them to just obey the laws? No, no. He wants something deeper than that. Moses says, this is what God wants from you. Yes, he wants you to obey all these laws that I'm about to give, but he wants you to obey them with your heart and with your soul. He wants you to to fear the God who gave the laws. He he wants you to to love the God who gave these laws. He wants you to believe that, that these laws are good and that God wants what is good for you. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. Have a look with me. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Do you see there the the trust, the fear, the obedience, the love? Heart and soul love. It's not just external obedience or obedience when other people are watching. It's not grudging or unwilling obedience. It's it's wholehearted, loving obedience. And now Moses goes on to give some reasons why Israel should love God like this. First reason. First reason why Israel should love God and obey him from love is because God himself deserves it. God is so excellent, so mighty, so gracious, so just, so good, so kind. God is faithful to his promises. He deserves their love because of who he is. The great God. Verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them and he chose you, their descendants, above all nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts therefore, set them apart for God and don't be stiff-necked, don't be stubborn any longer. Why? Because the Lord your God, he's the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you ought to love those who are aliens. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him. Take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. And now he talks about how God has kept his promises. Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Is the first reason to, to, to obey God out of love because he is the great, mighty, praiseworthy God. Moses now tells Israel again that God wants their love and he wants their loving and obedience. But, but this time the emphasis um, of the reason shifts a little bit. So before it was who God is, but now, and that's still there, but now the emphasis shifts a little bit to, to what God has done. Uh, in Israel's history... God has proved to be a powerful judge of his enemies. And he's proved to be a powerful saviour of his people. 
the way he defeated Pharaoh at the Exodus, the way he parted the Red Sea, the way he brought Israel through the, the, through the wilderness, uh, the way he destroyed those who rebelled against him, like uh, Dathan and Abiram in, in Numbers chapter 16. Israel should love God because of the great things he has done. Chapter 11, verse 1. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws and his commands always. Remember today... That your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the desert until you arrived at this place and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. So Israel should love God because he is great, and Israel should love God because of the great things that the Lord has done. Next section. Moses says it again. He calls on Israel to love God again. But this time the emphasis shifts again slightly. The reason shifts slightly. This time the reason is, it's not so much who God is or what he has done. Now that the emphasis is on, on what God will do for them. God is bringing them into the promised land. A land where if they love God things will be fantastic. Israel should love God and obey him because of the great things that he will do for them. Verse 8. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you're entering in to take over, it's not like the land of Egypt from which you've come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It's a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I'll send rain rain on your land in its season both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I'll provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. And God continues with this theme, uh, with this emphasis on the future. In the next verses, he warns Israel not to turn away from him. He calls on them again to love him. And again, it's all because of the future, because of the great things God will do. So for example, verse 21, verse 21, Israel should love God so that your days... And the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers. Or verse 22. Verse 22, if you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. And you will dispossess nations greater and stronger than you. Verse 26, God, God pulls this section together, summarizes it. He says, it's it's a perfectly simple equation. There's nothing complicated about this. You can love God and be blessed, or you can ignore and disobey him and be cursed. 
You can love God and, and, and have his favour and, and, and the good things that he will do, his blessing. Or you can disobey God and turn away from him and hate him and experience his anger and the bad things that he does for his enemies. Verse 26, see? Verse 26, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. Simple equation. Our last section, God tells Israel to proclaim the blessings and curses when they get into the land. We'll, we'll watch them do that in uh, chapters 27 and 28. And then just one final time, in case they still haven't got it, just before we get into the laws themselves, uh, God calls on Israel to obey. Verse 31. You're about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I'm setting before you today. Okay. Can you see what's here then in this passage? Moses is about to detail all the laws, but before he does so, he calls on Israel to obey these laws from a right heart. A heart that fears God, a heart that loves God, a heart that respects God, a heart that that wants to obey him. And we see good reasons why. Good reasons why Israel should love God and obey him in this way. They should love him because he is great and he deserves it. They should love him because he's done great things. And they should love him because he will do great things. Interesting passage, don't you reckon? And I reckon there's lots of stuff here that's helpful to us. Um, I think it's very helpful for us to think about our obedience. I'm not going to talk about that today. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I reckon a couple of other things, though, that are helpful for us to think about for today. Firstly, this, I think, gives us a helpful picture of, of what it will actually look like, feel like, to love God. And then secondly, I think this passage gives us um, three excellent reasons why we should love God and reasons that will help us to grow in our love for God if we focus on them. So let's think about each of those in turn. What it's like to love God and how to love God more. First, what it's like to love God. This passage is very helpful in our thinking about this. Loving God is not like loving lint chocolate or or licorice. It's not not something that you consume or, or, or sort of desire in that way he's not um it's not even like loving a child i'm sure that those of us who have children grandchildren we we passionately adore our children but god's not like that he's not kind of dependent i mean he's not like loving a fluffy animal or something like or even a sort of a um a, a, a gentle grandfather or something he's not weak dependent cute it's none of that kind of love. In fact, loving God, it's not even like loving a friend or, or loving your husband or your wife. I don't know that image is used in the Bible, but, but it's not a love between equals, this love. It's not a, not a romantic love or anything like that. It's more like, it's more like being a little child and loving your dad. I mean, assuming that your dad is a good dad. If you're a little child, your dad is kind of big and strong. He gave you life. He is wise and smart. That's what little kids think until they become teenagers about their dads. <laughs> he, he loves you. He supports you. He, he gives you 
lots of good things and, and you believe that he's on your side and wants what's best for you and when you go through tough things you assume that, that, that your dad's doing it because there's, there's some good reason for it and, and in response to who your dad is and, and what, what he's done for you and, and, and what he will do for you you, you want to love him you, you want to please him you, you want to do what he says it's more like that but I reckon it's even a bit different to loving a dad, loving God, at least a dad in the modern sense, because there's a bit more kind of, um, what's the right word, threat or, or, or intent. There's kind of more of an iron fist in the velvet glove in this passage, don't you reckon? The, the call to fear God, the call to obey, the, the call to, to serve God, you know, like a, like a slave. It, it's not quite like loving your dad. So, this morning I, w- I want to run an image by you. I've not mentioned this in the series so far, although for some of the commentators this is incredibly important for understanding the book of Deuteronomy. I don't think it's quite as important as some of the commentators do, but I think it could be helpful for us at this point. Did you realise that the book of Deuteronomy is loosely based on a particular ancient form of document? The way that it's structured and some of the contents of it, uh, it is based on what is called a suzerainty treaty, or more specifically a Hittite suzerainty treaty. Uh, A suzerainty treaty is a treaty between a king, the suzerain, and a nation in his empire, the so-called vassal, vassal state. The way it worked was something like this. Imagine Australia was conquered. I won't name a nation that could conquer Australia. I um, don't want to speak against any nation. So let's say we're conquered by the Mogadorians. Okay, the, the, the Mogadorians take over Australia. They, um, they make us part of their empire and then they suck us dry. They, they turn us into slaves. They exploit us. They take all our stuff. We live in poverty and starvation. They are hurting us. They're making life miserable, wrecking the joint. Uh, but then some other, some other people, let, let's call them the Lorians, the Lorians come and they defeat the Mogadorians. They conquer the Mogadorians and they liberate us. They set us free and they start to fix things. The infrastructure is rebuilt and we're able to eat more and life becomes much, much better. In that sort of a situation, you might enter into a suzerainty treaty. So the Lorian king is the suzerain, the master. And we Australians are the vassal, the servant. Uh, So the treaty might say that the Lorians will protect us, will protect us from our enemies, they will provide us with certain things and look after us, and we, in response, we are supposed to be loyal to them. Uh, We're supposed to pay taxes or something like that. The the technical term is we're supposed to offer our fealty. Now, some of you might say this is a bit like the uh, treaty that we have with the United States, but that is possibly overstating things a little bit. But the idea is that we have to offer our fealty. You know that expression, fealty? It's kind of... um, the loyalty that a servant has for their master, where they um, offer them their service willingly and out of love. That's the kind of document that Deuteronomy is based on, a suzerainty treaty. And in context, you can see how it works, can't you, with Israel? So Israel were slaves of a, a foreign oppressive king in Egypt, but God has come, rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and now he's entering into a treaty with them. He says, I'll protect you, I will be your master, I will provide you with all sorts of good things in my land that I own, and in response, I want your fealty, your loyalty, your love, your obedience. 
if you know the background and the way the document is structured, you can actually see that in the passage, can't you? God, the master, is calling on Israel, his vassal, to offer their fealty, love, fear, respect, obedience. I reckon that that is another clue about what it's like to love God. Um, I reckon this does come through to the New Testament. It's challenged a bit in the New Testament. Jesus says stuff like, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. But I think it is still there. Jesus still calls himself his disciples' master, doesn't he? Loving God, it's a bit like being a vassal and loving your suzerain. This master, who you, you may not see or have personally met, but this master has set you free from terrible slavery. This master is good and he protects you and he provides for you. But this master demands your fealty and love and loyalty. Does that give you a bit of a clue about what it might feel like to love God? It's not an equal love, is it? Or or a love for something small or or dependent. It's It's not a sentimental love or a romantic love. It's a love where we where we look up to God where we depend on him, where we trust that he's good. Uh, It's a love love that we offer to to our master in response to the goodness we've received from him. We offer this love because of the good things our master has done and and will do. It's a love where we want to please our master. It's a love that will benefit us, sure. But it's not just for the benefits that you love this master it goes beyond the benefits we don't just love because of what we get we love this suzerain because he deserves it he deserves it i wonder i wonder is that what it is like for you to love god was that when i asked you at the beginning do you love god was that the kind of image that was called to mind yeah i love god because i reckon in the modern church we're often confused about this I reckon many people kind of love God as like some sort of a pet who who, I'll love him as long as he does exactly what I expect. Or um, I think particularly in in the modern Western church, um, we're loving God, and you see this in lots of the modern songs, more like a kind of a boyfriend or something like that. Oh, you're so beautiful. I love you, God. God's not our servant. God is not our boyfriend. God is our master. I reckon this passage can pick, help us picture then what it is like to love God. Uh, more than that, secondly, though, it can help us to love God more. This passage can help us to love God more. Because all of those reasons that Moses calls on Israel to love God, they're still true for us. So, do you want to love God more? I hope you do, because Jesus says it's the most important thing in your life. Do you want to love God more? Well... How were Israel supposed to do it? Moses says they should love God because of who he is. Who he is. Do you want to love God more? Well, a starting point would be to stop. Take some time out and reflect on who God is. He is the owner of heaven and earth. The, the God of any other so-called gods, the Lord of any other so-called lords, the, the, the great and mighty and awesome God, the God who is just and fair and who will fix things, the God who is 
full of love for his people, the God who helps the weak, the God who faithfully keeps his promises, the God who sustains and made everything in this entire universe, who is holy and pure and just, he actually deserves your love. And if you're not giving it to him, there's something wrong with you. If we don't love him, we need to stop. Reflect on his greatness and goodness. Remember that he, in fact, deserves our love most richly. And as we take time to reflect on that, that should grow our love for him. Israel had to love God because of who he is. Israel also had to love God because of what he had done. Uh, Rescuing them from Egypt, defeating Pharaoh, bringing them through to the promised land. Well, for us, God's done even way more than that, hasn't he? As we reflect on what God has done for us, the God we love is the God who came in the person of Jesus, the God who died on the cross in our place, the God who defeated death and rose again in glory, all to make us his sinful enemies into his friends and his children. God deserves our love for the great things that he's done. Do you want to grow in love for God? Well then, pause for a while. Think about what he has done. In particular, reflect on what it means that you are a sinner. Reflect on what you deserve from God and then think about what you have instead in Christ. I remember last year as we studied Matthew's Gospel, many people were very moved by that passage. you remember the passage where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he's thinking about uh, what it will be like to bear our sin and judgment, to drink the cup of the wrath of God. Do you remember as Jesus reflected on that, he was, he was sweating blood at the, at the fear and the terror of it, and yet he boldly said, not my will but your will be done. Many people were very moved, I think, by that. And people said to me, oh, the cost that Jesus bore for me. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about now. For us to reflect on that, I think, will grow our love. Because of who God is, because of what he has done. Finally, Israel had to love God because of the good things he was going to do for them, bring them into the promised land. Again, that's all the more true for us, isn't it? God is bringing us to an ultimate promised land, a new heaven, a new earth, where there is no more sickness or death or mourning or crying or pain, where we will be transformed into sin-free people who love God and see God face to face. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that is your future? I reckon part of the reason we don't love God is because we don't believe it. And because we don't stop to think about it. So do you want to grow in love for God? Well, take time to reflect. Take time to meditate on the excellent things that our Master will do for us. Why not try it this week? Pull out Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, and just think about it for a while. Uh, pull out 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and just think about it for a while. That's going to be me. Transformed renewed, seeing God face to face through his sheer grace and mercy. I think if we dwell on it for a while, our love for God will grow. 
Friends, Jesus is clear about it. There is no more important thing than we, that we can do than love God. So let, let's heed what Moses says. Let's love God our Father, our Master, for who he is, for what he's done, and for what he will do. Let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious, holy, wonderful Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for who you are, the great God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is compassionate and gracious and just and holy and perfect and pure. We thank you for all the good things that you have done, for making us, for sustaining us, for saving us through Jesus. And we thank you for the wonderful future that you have for your people. Father, we long for that day when we will see you face to face and you will transform us so that we love you better. We do want to love you more. Please fill us with your spirit so that we might do so. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.